Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Practice of Film Criticism uh, 2022 podcast. I'm Luke Brown, joined by Lily Edwards-Hill, and we're going to be discussing Shin Godzilla, which is Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi's 2016 uh, Godzilla film, uh, the first Japanese Godzilla film made since 2004, so it was quite a big quite a big release in Japan. Um, it's also the first Japanese Godzilla film to get a box well, box office release in uh, the US for quite some time. Um, came out right in the middle of Legendary Pictures making the uh, Monsterverse Godzilla movies. Uh, so that was Godzilla 2014, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, yeah, so it was the popularity of Godzilla 2014 that drove Toho to make another Godzilla movie. So why this film, and why specifically this Godzilla film? So, I mean, this franchise in general is something I personally uh, love um, I think my, my kind of love for kaiju movies and you know big schlocky monster movies came from um, I think a generally underrated film Pacific Rim ah, yes. directed by Guillermo del Toro yeah. very surprisingly um, I saw that and absolutely loved just big big robots fighting big monsters um, and then I, th- I can't remember exactly when Pacific Rim came out mm-hmm. but Godzilla 2014 um, was created kind of as the first Godzilla for a new generation and I think that also drew me in and then I found Shin Godzilla specifically uh, a couple of years ago I just finished watching uh, like a a binge of Godzilla 2014 and King of the Monsters. This was before Godzilla vs. Kong was announced. Yeah. So I was looking for something else to watch and I stumbled across a video essay talking about the history of Godzilla and the final film they mentioned was Shin Godzilla. And I thought, wow, that looks really unique. And yeah, I, I watched it. Um, with the awful American dubbing. It is atrocious. <laughs> God. Um, and even with that, the film just really stood out to me as a unique take on big monster ravages through a city. Yeah. Um, because my main, my main frame of reference at that point in time was the American Godzilla movies, which this film is very different to. Yeah. Which is kind of a big part of what I want to focus on with mm. my video essay on, on Shin Godzilla. I really want to look at how this film situates itself in the Godzilla canon or how it sticks out, really. Yeah. Um, I think one one big element that is quite different in this film that Sam uh, mentioned in the discussion is the lack of personality that this version of Godzilla has mm. if you go back and you look at the uh, the Showa and the Heisei era Godzilla movies so that's you know your uh, Godzilla 1954 your original 
Godzilla vs. Kong, Godzilla vs. Destoroyer, uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra, all of these very um, kind of classic Godzilla movies. You see a kind of almost goofy character who's doing flying kicks and throwing a big (laughs) monkey into a traditional Japanese uh, like shrine or fighting on Mount Fuji and things like that. Or if you look at the American Godzilla movies, you've got this kind of anti-hero. He's not here to save the world, he's here to rule it, but that does mean stopping the other creatures from destroying the world. Yeah. And so he becomes this kind of saving grace to the humans. Yeah. Which is definitely not the case in Shin Godzilla. Mm. He, or it, here acts more as a force of nature, Mm. as this kind of unstoppable wave of destruction, which very intentionally mirrors a natural disaster. Um, This film, very similarly to Godzilla 1954, came out as a response to an atrocity that Japan had gone through obviously the original film was a response to the nuclear bombs dropped on japan and that's reflected very clearly in the film the the creature itself is created due to atomic weapons testing uh whereas this godzilla and shin godzilla was a response to the 2011 tohoku earthquake and tsunami and the subsequent Fukushima nuclear disaster. Yeah. Um, the the earthquake itself is the fourth largest or most powerful earthquake in recorded history. Mm. I mean, I think they mention it in the film, don't they? Yes. It, there's a point in the film where they say, you know, oh, it isn't a it isn't a natural disaster. We can contain it, <laughs> yeah. which proves to be not the case. Yeah. <laughs> as we very quickly realize, and I think that's a very important part of the film is. The government's ineptitude at dealing with the situation they find themselves in, um, and that's that. Yeah, that's that's a very important theme mm. in this film, which I feel is not present in a lot of other Godzilla yeah, movies, especially. I, I was quite like surprised because I mean I haven't seen any other Godzilla film, um, but just I guess like the reputation. It, has <laughs> I wasn't expecting what Shin Godzilla turned out to actually be and I didn't actually expect to enjoy it um because I just sort of in my head had this idea of like you were saying the seminar like sort of karate chopping <laughs> like a massive monkey into a building and like things like that but I uh I really enjoyed how heavily focused it was on the sort of government aspect of it and how they uh, handled it, really. What I think is quite fascinating in that regard, actually, is that Toho, the production company that owns the rights to Godzilla, Mm. um, they told Hideaki Anno, who wrote and co-directed the film, that they didn't want it to be political. They didn't want it to be this big... Um, me- you know, film full of messages and things. They wanted something to rival the American Godzilla. Yeah. Um, 
and Arno obviously just went, I'm going to make this film how I want to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, it benefits from that. Definitely. Um, they didn't want it to be this message on climate change either, which I feel is quite blatantly present mm. in in the film as well. Yeah. They they wanted big lizard karate kicking a monkey into a building. Yes. And surprisingly enough, they were quite happy with what Arno and um, Higuchi produced because it was a pretty big box office success. It yeah. had... It had a budget of fifteen million dollars, which is tiny yeah. in comparison to what Legendary Pictures was pumping into their Godzilla movies at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was tiny even in comparison to some of the earlier Japanese Godzilla movies. If yeah. you look back at, I think the the last film in the franchise that the Japanese made before this was two thousand and four's Godzilla: Final Wars which was this big spectacle. They wanted it to be the end of the franchise. Yeah. And so there's every enemy he's ever fought. And that, I mean, cost a lot less than the American one because it was men in rubber suits yeah. beating each other up in a miniature Tokyo. Mm. But even so, the the budget, even despite the budget of Shin Godzilla, it at box office made 78 million dollars which is quite a big profit for such a small film and um it won best picture and best director that year at um japan's academy awards Mm. which is quite a big feat for a film like this you don't you don't often see um kaiju movies being held to that kind of social regard which I think is an important difference between this film and the American counterparts. Um, and I think that is largely due to its political. So, yeah, what are you sort of like honing in on, sort of focusing when it comes to your video essay? So, I currently have a couple of ideas for my video essay. And I think the main one I'm leaning towards right now is looking at how. Shin Godzilla fits into the Godzilla canon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's such a unique film in partially the fact that it's the first Japanese Godzilla film since the 1954 one to completely disregard every other film in the canon. Mm. At least, like all of the other ones, at least used 1954's Godzilla as like a backstory. Yeah. Whereas this is a completely new um, character. It's a completely new narrative, completely new backstory. And I think to me that's incredibly interesting because it allowed for what I would argue is the most terrifying iteration of the character Mm. throughout the film you see this this creature change and evolve to defeat different obstacles it goes from being an aquatic creature that can barely exist on land it's bleeding out of its gills 
it's got these huge fish-like eyes. It looks almost quite goofy, I think. A lot yeah. of people, when you first see it appear, a lot of people in the screening kind of laughed because it's like, what? This isn't Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. But then by the end of the film, it's this hulking mass of irradiated flesh that was specifically meant to look like the the flesh of a burns victim mm. um it's quite grotesque yes it is um and then that's i mean that's carried on in the final shot where you see its tail and yeah. there are these creatures kind of beginning to split off from it mm. which the japanese um task force managed to defeat just just in time yeah um so you see it you see it throughout the film change and evolve to counter everything that humanity could throw at it until yeah. finally this group of what i believe they they refer to literally as a group of misfits losers and intellectuals come yeah. together and find a non-violent way to defeat it which i think is yeah definitely an interesting point i think like as well i remember you making the point of obviously it's really interesting how it sort of evolves throughout the film so i think that is if i'm not wrong different That's, to what's previously it's been done never yeah it's never been done like that yeah before. um i liked how you made the point about how obviously it's evolving to sort of adapt to what's being thrown at it but the idea of community was what sort of it was just a, on the verge of yeah. understanding that, that was sort of what humans had over it essentially. yes um that final the final shot of the film being a shot of this these grotesque half human half godzilla mm. creatures splitting off is definitely about that it's beginning to come to terms as it's being defeated by this community that that is what it is lacking and so it begins to become community yeah um and there's an art book which i unfortunately don't have but would love uh that looks at all of the character designs that were done for this film mm. and there were plans for further forms of evolution um in the film they describe how it was possible that it could grow wings and fly across the ocean and that happens in one of the character designs um unfortunately the film never got a sequel yeah um, there was one planned however i think both toho and arno and higuchi just kind of couldn't agree mm. on where they wanted to go with it yeah so it I, I quite liked how it ended as well i thought it was quite a sort of poignant sort of it's it's it's, <laughs> it's quite important as well though that the final line of the film is that things aren't settled mm. it's the kind of ever looming threat yeah. of natural disasters or nuclear destruction really yeah. that's something that i haven't discussed yet which is the kind of fear of nuclear destruction that hangs over the entire mm. film um by the time they defeat godzilla there is less than an hour left on a countdown for america to hit tokyo with a nuclear bomb yeah which is obviously very reminiscent of what godzilla 1954 was reacting to it's that that 
fear and the subsequent remain in the cultural conscience of the bombing of Japan. Mm. Um, which is something I think that is would hit a lot harder for a national audience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the same could be said about a lot of the political discourse in the film. It's something that could be a lot more related to given a, a kind of national connection to the film. And that was something that Jose brought up in the discussion as well. The way in which in a lot of American disaster movies you see a complete disbelief in the ability of government mm. and, and institution, you know. Yeah. Um, in in things like I think San Andreas is one. Yeah. And and twenty twelve as well. Yeah. It's it's these films where there is no help from the government, really. Mm. Whereas in Shin Godzilla, even though it's not the old government, the, the kind of bureaucratic government that it ridicules throughout that actually saves them, there is this continued belief in the power of the institution. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a politician leading a group of scientists that saves the day. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is important whilst it's important to make a distinction between the bureaucrats and the misfits mm. it's also important to see the hope that is present in the film it is it's a film about mourning and it's a film that heavily criticizes japanese government but it is also a film that is full of hope yeah. and that believes in the power of japan to come back from these national tragedies yeah given the national ab ability to come together, I think. Yeah. And that's, again, what Godzilla begins to understand by the end of the film. It's that sense of community. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like, that last uh, scene, like, the conversation they have on the rooftop um, mm. ha really hammers that home as well, because I, th I can't remember the exact line, but how they were talking about how they'd, like, done it before, and then they'll like build it up again they 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 say throughout the film that japan is a nation that's built on destruction and, yeah. and rebirth almost yeah. um and that's something that was almost present actually in the uh english title mm. uh, i was talking to liz about this she asked me what does shin actually mean mm. um and there are a number of translations for it, and there's also a reason it was left untranslated. But the proposed English title for the film was Godzilla Resurrection or Godzilla Rebirth. Yeah. Which I think personally sounds kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and Toho agreed. That's why they didn't end up naming it that. They left it as Shin Godzilla. But I think that is also... It, it takes something from the plot mm. of the film, that sense of kind of rebirth not only of the character of godzilla but also of the nation yeah so for those unfamiliar with uh shin godzilla it generally follows a similar format to a lot of godzilla movies it's this big creature suddenly emerges from the ocean 
just outside of Tokyo and begins to wreak havoc. And the Japanese government has to rush to find a way to minimize the damage whilst also defeating the creature and saving its people. That's generally the the narrative of a lot of Godzilla movies. Mm. However, Shin Godzilla varies from the formula quite distinctly in its focus not on the creature and the destruction, but rather on the governmental response. Yeah. Godzilla itself actually has a surprisingly short amount of time on screen. Um, I think that was something that you were saying you liked. Yeah. It kind of... Whilst, whilst Godzilla is an important part of this, it wouldn't be the same if it was just a, a film about an earthquake or a film yeah. about a tsunami. It's also very important that it doesn't focus on Godzilla solely. Um, you, you see that in the Legendary Pictures 2014 Godzilla. It's very focused on the creature fighting other big creatures that yeah. appear. Um, and while that's that makes for a fun experience <laughs> for a lot of people, like I was saying earlier, I, I love destruction and monsters and yeah. whatever, but Shin Godzilla has more to say than that yeah. in its focus on government. Um, and I think one of my favourite parts of the, scene, of the entire film isn't a scene of destruction, it's one of the early scenes, well, two early scenes, where you see a meeting of the Prime Minister and his cabinet in the Prime Minister's office, and they're having a meeting discussing what's going on. And they decide, oh, we need to have a, a cabinet meeting to decide our response. And so all the cabinet members get up, walk a couple of metres to another room, <laughs> sit back down and continue a discussion like they hadn't moved at all. It's quite yeah. ridiculous. And then another favourite scene of mine is the scene, the first press conference where the Prime Minister is assuring the people that there is no way that this creature can come on land because yeah. it would be crushed by its own weight. Cue cut. <laughs> and it cuts to the creature rampaging through the streets. Yeah. Um, I think that was one of my favourite scenes as well. And it, I'm so happy it got a laugh out of a lot of people because it is ridiculous yeah. and it's intended to be. It is intended to mock political response yeah or or lack thereof mm. again that was a big criticism of the japanese government um in the aftermath of the the natural disasters i mentioned earlier was their inaction um especially regarding the nuclear mm. meltdown that was caused by the earthquake and the tsunami yeah the it, it they were widely regarded as waiting too long to mm. act and i think that is very clearly something that is seen in this film yeah definitely it's also criticizing just the just the general bureaucracy of japanese government there's a number of scenes where a character will turn to another character to ask permission for something and that character will turn to another character to ask permission and it goes up this long chain until it yeah. gets to the prime minister and then he says i grant permission and then it goes all the way back <laughs> down the chain <laughs> again, which is 
hilarious yeah. in a film that really has has comedy in it, but is also very serious and, yeah. and quite quite terrifying at times. Mm. So I think that's an interesting dichotomy that's created, which you don't get in other Godzilla films, really. Which is, again, something I would like to focus on yeah. uh, in my video essay. Something that is quite unique in this film, I think, is its... While, while it narratively shrugs off the other films in the canon, it is mm -hmm. very aware of the canon. Yeah. It, throughout the film, music is used from previous films. So when the credits roll, you hear the original score from Godzilla 1954. When Godzilla first appears in his kind of most reminiscent of Godzilla form, yeah. his fourth form, and begins to rampage towards Tokyo, you hear a song from Terror of Mechagodzilla. Yes. Which I believe was one of the first films where Mechagodzilla exists, and that's a whole nother <laughs> part of the canon. Yeah. Um, but it's also aware of Hideaki Anno's previous work. He was is widely revered as an animator mm. and his his kind of main body of work consists of the neon genesis evangelion series of anime and films after that um and there's a song from neon genesis evangelion that is used and remixed throughout this film that again harkens back to his previous work um and there are a number of references in the film as well to um to the original film uh, from 1954. The boat that they first find in Tokyo Bay, the Glory Maru, mm. um, is not directly, but very similarly named to the first ship that sees Godzilla in the original film. And it is also, which were both, well, both of the boats are named after a Japanese fishing vessel that was exposed to radiation due to atomic weapons testing mm. which is something that the original film was yeah. reacting to and i think this film continues that as well as the fact that the scientist who names godzilla godzilla is given the same name as the scientist who creates the solution to killing godzilla in the original film so there are lots of references yeah. in it but it also distances itself mm. from the canon by having the character be so unique yeah. and by having the film in general be so political. So one of the main things I want to focus on, like I've said, is the kind of... the way it fits into the canon, mm. but also the way it... the way it functions as a reclamation of the series. Um, and I think one way it does that is by being the first Japanese Godzilla film to fo to feature a fully CGI monster. Um, CG had been used previously to, to render the atomic breath weapon that Godzilla has, but up until this point, the Japanese had stuck with the tradition of men in rubber suits, mm. which was unique. And there is still a part of that in in this film in that the movement of the monster was created using motion capture 
and the behind the scenes footage is is, is fascinating. It's I this can man in a mocap suit with a Godzilla mask on, <laughs> just kind of walking around really, really strangely, and it makes for some really interesting background, you know, yeah. background watching. Um, but before this, there were two American films hmm. that featured CG Godzillas. There was Godzilla '98. Um, which is widely regarded as one of the worst Godzilla films ever made and is the reason it took Toho so long to agree to allow the Americans to make another Godzilla movie because they were like, this is one of the worst things we've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it changed the character design a lot, similarly to what Shin Godzilla does, but for what a lot of people would regard as t- to the worse. Um, but then there was also Godzilla 2014, which was much more highly revered. Mm. And... In adopting CG and leaving the tradition of men in rubber suits behind, I think what uh, Hideaki Anno and, and Shinji Higuchi did was pave the way for a new era of Godzilla movies in Japan. And there have been a number of animated Godzilla films made since. There hasn't been another live-action one just yet. Um, I expect there will be at some point soon, given the popularity of the MonsterVerse Godzilla films, but I don't have any particular information on that. Yeah. Um, I think what's also important is that it is very set in Japan. It is it is incredibly paramount to the plot that it's in Tokyo. And yeah. it reminds you that it's in Tokyo constantly. There are so many title not title cards, but titles of places and yeah. people. And there are so many famous places mentioned and shown. It is very much a film about Japan and about mm. Tokyo. In comparison to the American Godzilla movie that came bef- just before it, in which a large amount of it happens at night, so it's barely recognisable. Yeah. It's just a cityscape. Uh, I believe some of it takes place in Hawaii as well. <laughs> it's... And... At the end of the day, what what ends up happening is nobody nobody deals with the rampaging monster. It kind of goes away on its own, having defeated its enemy. Yeah. So it's this film is a return to Japan as a place, but also Japan as a people, and those ideas of kind of the pride in a nation and the belief in like we were saying earlier the establishment but also the japanese people's ability to deal with these horrific disasters Mm. i think one thing that is very interesting um is that shinji higuchi one of the co-directors as i've mentioned before he previously worked on a series of films called the Gamera Mm. films which are very similar to Godzilla they focus on a kaiju rampaging and all that kind of thing he was the special effects director for those films as he was for Shin Godzilla however the effects are obviously very different yeah but I think it was interesting that his input at least to some degree was the miniatures that are used which make the scenes of destruction of Tokyo look so real um I think that was something that Tom mentioned when we were talking about it that he absolutely loved how real the destruction looks and that's because it isn't all CGI Mm. it is also grounded in miniatures and there was a 
motorized like puppet made of some of the versions of Godzilla for the film they never made it into the film Mm. Um, but there's again that knowledge of the tradition of how these films are made and that kind of reclamation of it because at least in my understanding the American films are almost entirely CG in their scenes of destruction they look very different um which I think also helps in the scenes of destruction being reminiscent of the video footage of the natural disasters that this was a response to. Um, there's a scene very early on of boats being pushed up the river mm. um, and kind of destroying things on the river bank and people running in fear and screaming and that's those scenes were intentionally made to be reminiscent of news footage of the tsunami um which would resonate much much more with a japanese audience however i think is if you have that prior knowledge it's very obvious um so again it's a film that is very aware of japanese past japanese present and godzilla's past and present and i think uses its knowledge of both to set up for the franchise's future in japan so yeah i think it's sort of even coming from someone who hasn't watched all of the godzilla films it's like evident why you would want to pick this specific film because you can just tell that it's different I could just sort of like when I was watching it like I was saying before it exceeded expectations of what I thought I was going to be watching and so I think it will lend itself to being a good video essay Um, and I think the sort of focus on Japan and Japan as a people will be sort of a good concentration point for your video essay yeah I think the main things I want to focus on are it's unique attributes and that that is one of them and again it's return to all of those themes and the the kind of the fear of of nuclear technologies and the fear of of climate change that is kind of missing in a lot of recent iterations of the character yeah but as well i think i do want to focus on the ways not necessarily just the ways that it reclaims that, but also the ways in which it breaks free of that and creates its own concepts. So this has been another episode of the Practice of Film Criticism 2022 podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. This has been a discussion on Shin Godzilla.